There's just so much to teaching that it doesn't matter how well you think you understand it until you're actually doing it. Most young people in school have a very finite view of the world in terms of they see the world through the lens of their families, their friends, their teachers, and through social media interactions. If you think about that adult learning piece, a lot of people are scared to go back into education because they had bad experiences in education when they were younger. You know, just giving them that confidence that there's somebody there that says you're not going to fail is, you know, is a, is a big step forwards for them. If you don't give people the capacity, the, you know, the confidence that they can succeed, then, then ultimately they won't. I suppose one of those people that faced some of the challenges that, that many of our um, work experience applicants uh, will face today. I grew up in a in a, a council estate in a, a single parent family. I uh, was lucky enough to to you know to do well at school, to go off to university. I was the first young person, um, you know, first child in our family to uh, to go to university. And, and kind of stumbled my way through, through university and then into, into a job. I had no idea really what I wanted to do at the time or I had several ideas and, and couldn't settle on one of them. But, but this kind of followed my nose, as it were, in terms of, of, you know, seeing the opportunities that were out there and, and, and attaching the ones that, that I found really interesting. So it was the early days of the, of the internet, you know, the only place when you, where you could use the internet really when, uh, when I was at university, was at university, um, so I found found myself stumbling into a career in technology. So I ran some of the very early internet service providers in the UK, uh, which were obviously quite small, but grew very very quickly as the internet started to become popular. And then uh, found myself by the age of thirty, having been uh, CEO and 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 similar of of technology companies, I. I spent a, a period in working in Florida as CTO of a, of a large construction group that built holiday resorts, which was fun, uh, and, and found myself you know, really living a, a very positive life, uh, which is which was you know, the story that we try to tell to, to young people. Just because of your background, it doesn't mean so you can't achieve in life. And but I but I saw something um, more personally rewarding than just a. a than just a, a well-paid job. So when I got to to 30, I uh, was looking for, you know, what that might be, and it kind of cast my mind back to the thoughts that I had had when I was younger, when I was 25, and thought about becoming a teacher. Uh, I had a you know a huge influence in my life from uh, my one of my teachers at school, who you know was one of the most outstanding people that you'd you know you'd see in life. Gave his all to the young you know, to the young people at school. Ran clubs and so forth, and that was um, that was our uh, modern languages teacher, Mr. Anderson, and, and he basically inspired me to go into teaching. Well, that was that was a uh, a career shock because even though it sounds sounds uh, sounds like a you know a, a wonderfully easy thing to do, when you actually enter teaching, you find that it, it's not the easiest of jobs in the world. And actually, I I, I very much. You know, found the challenges of teaching as, as equal, if not more, than being a CEO of, a, of an organisation. There's just so much to teaching that it doesn't matter how well you think you understand it until you're actually doing it. There's so many parts of it that wouldn't enter our consciousness in terms of the sort of 
business planning and the um the 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 actual lesson planning the the, the fitting them to schemas and the doing that sort of strategic thinking at the same time as the pastoral side of it and doing all so whether you're coming to it from a pastoral care background or from a you know working with people background or a industry background or whatever there's always going to be bits you're missing in terms of what you think it's going to be does that make sense Uh, definitely I mean I entered it with such confidence that I just wanted to be a teacher and it would be it would be a you know a a, a great job to to kind of give back to young people but there's lots of barriers in the way in teaching and and, um, lots of challenges that you don't perceive when you're not a teacher and I think you know many parents and, and so forth have seen some of those challenges you know through the pandemic which which is when they've had to homeschool you know, uh, you know, just one, two or three children or whatever. Uh, I think that, you know, I, even when I was doing my PGCE as part of my retraining, there's lots of things that they don't really share with you. They can't make the challenges of young people, uh, you know, real in the classroom. Yeah. So that's you only... thing that they want you to stay and to finish your PGCE. <laughs> you might not if it was really scary. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I think it's, it's, uh, you know, PGCE is hard enough in itself, um, but it's, but you know, you push through that. You get to get to the classroom, and and then you're stood stood in front of a class by yourself for the first time, and it's it, it's it's like standing on stage, you know. And you know, you've just you've started your career in acting, and all of a sudden you've got you know, five six performances to do every day. You go home, and you've got marking to do, and, and so forth, and lesson planning, and and everything else, and you've got to deal with. The, the, the challenges of, of the lives of the young people and, and kind of meeting their needs and your breaks and your lunch. And that's just the stuff you've got to do just to be all right at it. You know, like if you want to be a good teacher, then there's all of that like additional CPD and the reading and the after school stuff and all of the things that like get the buy in of those young people and that sort of that passion. Do you know what I mean? It, it's really full on, even if you just want to stay afloat. <laughs> Yeah, it is. And I was in awe at some of the colleagues, you know, some of these teachers that have been doing it for 10 years or or, or, or whatever and uh, were, you know, were you know shining in as examples of what you'd want to be like as a teacher who were getting outstanding all the time. And, and you know, it's it, it's 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 one of the most you know amazing careers you could have, one of the most rewarding careers, but also one of the most challenging careers. And and uh you know i was lucky enough to get you know to to kind of scale the the ladder in terms of promotion in teaching quite quickly and um and i think that uh you know that, that was against my original um aims which was just to teach so i thought i'll just go into a classroom and you know that was just my naive my naive self thinking that i would be you know sat there enjoying myself you know just just imparting knowledge and all that kind of stuff is, you know, it's a naive. Like having those nice relationships and doing yeah, the yeah, I'm a yeah. caring teacher bit. <laughs> yeah, and, and so, but but I got promoted anyway, so because I think people saw the the kind of management capability that I I kind of brought in from you know from the uh, the kind of the commercial world, and and I found myself very quickly moving from being a secondary school teacher to being uh, assistant principal at a group at a, at a college, and then. Uh, having responsibilities for strategy across a, a bunch of colleges, and, and that made me then reevaluate why I'd gone into teaching in the first place, and, and actually found myself in a very corporate kind of job again. So, so I think after after you know a year of doing that, I uh, I decided to um, move on and, and try to find something that 
again, was was rewarding, personally rewarding. So I, I became a consultant. I uh, took on uh, work with some large corporates on helping them engage with education and support education and uh, and also then spent about a third of my time, so half of my time doing stuff for schools and colleges and young people that didn't pay anything because the, the kind of corporate side pays well enough that you don't necessarily need to uh, to, to work um, so you know, that 24-7. Corporate stuff lets you do the stuff you really want to. That's right, yeah. So, so yeah, and began to grow um, a following in, in social media. So, uh, you know, I quickly became one of the most followed educationalists in, in social media uh, globally, I would say. And um, that brought attention to me even more. I ran some, uh, you know, some of that kind of, um, of kind of volunteer type work that I was doing led me to want to run a global Skypeathon with kids all around the schools to help, to help, sorry, all around the world to help them open their minds to what it was like to become, uh, to be a young person in a school in Japan or in Australia or in the UK or, or somewhere else in the world. So we, so we had some fun running something called Adventure 15, which was where we connected around a hundred thousand young people, uh, around the world. Um, so, uh, kids uh, classroom skyping into from australia into indonesia from indonesia into india from india into the uk and so forth uh, all during one day in november that sounds really exciting was was that driven by sort of that that want to introduce children to to different experiences so that maybe they didn't have the experience of that early careers journey that you had and like not knowing what was out there or what you know the alternatives were yeah, I, I realized that most young people in school uh, have a very finite view of the world in terms of, you know, it's five miles, 10 miles within each direction of their home and school. It's, you know, where they go on holiday or it's uh, social media interactions. So, you know, so so they see the world through the lens of their families, their friends, their teachers and through you know through you know twitter or facebook or instagram nowadays and so forth so uh, that doesn't really expose you to the wider world you know there's there's lots of now you know great opportunities in terms of uh, provision to you know from organizations like the you know the economist foundation where they're opening your you know young people's mind to uh, the you know media and, and everything else in a, in, a, in a more controlled way but without those things you're left to essentially scavenge you know scavenge for um you know information about what the real world is like so i just thought well it would be great to say you know connect with lots of teachers around the world which i did through my social media and said you know how about we hook everyone up for a day and uh you know and we get we make it very natural we allow you know, a teacher or a class to ask questions, to do, you know, to show an activity or whatever else it is that they want to do to a different class on the other side of the world. So, um, so, and, and it was that. So we had, you know, Australians asking Canadians, you know, what snow was like. We had, um, you know, in, in another call, Australians, sorry, Canadians going outside and throwing snow up in the air. We had, you know, uh, kids in, uh, primary school who were dancing to each other across Skype. We had um, kids singing right? national anthems and all sorts of fun stuff. So, Especially now when the world, you know, for a lot of people is just the four walls of their, their bedroom or wherever it is that they're spending their school day. You know, that, that sounds like 
an incredible way to connect people to have experiences that they might never have had. You know, that idea of snow, like you'd never, as a person living in the northeast of England, particularly, um, consider that there's there's people in the world who've never who've never experienced snow. And, what, and, and my my ultimate aim was to say, look, there are there are young, you know, there are other children elsewhere in the world who have similarities to you, but are different to you. But the the reality is, by the time you're in your twenties and thirties, the world will be such a small place. You know, we'll be working. You'll be working in, you know, a role perhaps, uh, you know, in the UK with with someone else in Australia. You know, because that's how technology will change the world. And and you know, so so that went really well. We did it again the next year. Um, again, a similar similar kind of take up. Uh, limited only really by my my bandwidth to spend you know a lot of time organising these things. And um, uh, but but so so rewarding. And um, uh, and then uh, an opportunity came along for me to to work with uh, Whitbread, who at the time owned Costa Coffee, um, to look at the kind of things that they were doing from an educational engagement perspective, because their CSR program through the Costa Foundation was very educational focused. So so we did. Um, so we set up something called Pop Up College, which uh, which was essentially adult learning in Costa Coffees after they close. And uh, so we did that by uh, partnering with lots of local education providers, colleges and, and so forth around the UK. And then we brokered the relationships between them and the stores, the cost of stores around them. And basically, you know, uh, you could go into a Costa at you know seven o'clock in the evening, sit and have a coffee with with you know other other people. Again, that that's such a, a nice idea in terms of you know thinking about you were talking earlier on about the different barriers that people have to learning or to to getting involved in stuff. And if you think about that adult learning piece, a lot of people are scared to go back into education because they had bad experiences in education when they were younger. And actually, that idea of just being able to go to a coffee shop and have a coffee and do some nice learning things makes it a lot less intimidating it, it absolutely does and i think the that was exactly what we you know we, what we had back from from people i mean i cast my mind back to my own mum who uh who didn't do didn't do very well in her own levels at school left school at 16 i think when i was about 12 or 13 she said she wanted to do something so she went back to college to do just to do her maths gcse uh, just to prove a point and you know, but but I saw the challenges that she felt because school was not a very pleasant experience for her. And so, you know, actually just walking into a college building for many people is, you know, a really challenging thing to do. And, uh, you know, it brings back, you know, memories that, that, that uh, you know, unconscious memories that, that are difficult to overcome for some people. And not to mention the fact that, you know, some people also live in a, you know, uh, you know, uh, don't have a college nearby that they can go to so you know without hopping on a bus for half an hour or so or, you know in a car or something like that and so there are also people who who are very capable but because they were told through school and through that sort of academic route that the that they weren't clever or they weren't you know academic that idea of qualifications or of you know hitting a framework or having learning outcomes is is horrifying because they don't They've been. It's a thing about testing a fish on its ability to ride a bike, isn't it? Like, they don't know actually that they're brilliant, and that it's just the things they've been tested on, or that the way they've been taught them has been wrong. Yeah, I mean, I had you know, going back to when I was teaching, I think um, what I did was 
give the young people confidence that they could achieve. So I'd walk into a classroom the first time I had the class, you know, at, at a new school, and I would say to them, every young person, every, you know, every student I've taught so far has passed their GCSE and you'll pass your GCSE as well. And just giving, you know, just giving them that confidence that there's somebody there that says you're not going to fail is, you know, is a, is a big step forwards for them. The fact that they can succeed through small steps for some, for, through bigger steps for others, uh, gets everyone there at the end. You know, it, it's, I, you know, taught in some of the most, you know, challenged schools in the country and, Every every child in in uh, not just in my class but in my department at you know when I was head of faculty or uh, even when I was second and second in faculty passed their GCSEs and and passed their A levels if they turned up to school they 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 got their qualifications and and you know that's that's true that's true believing in people's capacity to learn but actually you know spending some time switching them on to the fact that learning isn't isn't terrible because everyone learns stuff all the time like people don't realize how much they've learned it's just obviously people learn in different ways and the people whose school didn't necessarily work for probably just weren't shown how much they were learning in some of those other things that they were doing you know like it, it, it's amazing how when you present people with the skills they've got they can look at themselves through fresh eyes and go oh like i'm great like I used to work in welfare to work and work with people who maybe had found it difficult to find work after being made redundant or might never have had a job um, due to health constraints or through other barriers like care and responsibilities and are now looking. And that moment of realisation where someone looks at a CV that you've had a bit of a play with and reads it and goes, wow, this is me and this is great. Look at all these things I can do. And the know they can do them is such a magical moment of seeing someone's vision of themselves change and knowing that they can then pursue things that they might not have before. I mean, there was one, there was one student that I taught in uh, year 11 in mean, my first teaching job. And, you know, I learned very quickly that the most important thing was to bring teaching to them, but not force them to learn and you know, because you never succeed and and so there was one student who said you know lovely you know um you know lovely student just said to me almost in the first day look sir i've had lots of teachers i'm not going to learn this you know don't try you know just leave me alone and i'll just leave you alone and i was like okay that's that's you know that's that's you know that's nice so just let's see if we can slowly open his his mind to to learning and I didn't pressure him for six months, uh, but I made, you know, I kept the door open to him learning. I said, if ever you want to engage, then that's fine. And, you know, I probably would have been slated by, <laughs> by the SLT for, for taking that approach. But at the end of, you know, after, after about six months, he came to me one day and said, you know, look, sir, uh, you know, you're great. Can I just sit in your classroom and finish doing my GCSE, please? And, he, and I said, well, that's fine, but you've not got long left. Um, you, you're going to have to have a look at what you know you're doing across your subjects, and then you know, uh, and speak to other teachers. And he said, it doesn't matter because I'm failing everything else. I'm definitely not going to pass. I said, well, why don't you you know have a chat with your form tutor and come and come and spend as much time as you can in my classroom, and I'll help you get your GCSE. And he got his GCSE. You know, he sat in my classes with year sevens, year eights, year nines, A level students. He sat in the background doing his coursework. You know, and I would pop and, you know, help him now and again and so forth. And and he went, you know, that one tick, he got his one GCSE from school, gave him the confidence to go to college, went to college, 
did construction now has his own firm. So, you know, if you don't give people the capacity, the, you know, the confidence that they can succeed, then, then ultimately they won't. Cash Alumni, the fastest growing network of current and future professionals in care, health and education. You can join us for free at cashalumni.org.uk and get access to articles from subject specialists and experts, e-learning to a discount and benefits scheme and lots of support with career development and your future growth. For people listening who haven't had contact with Speakers for Schools before, what, what is it? What do you do? Speakers for Schools is about 10 years old. Uh, it was founded by uh, the ITV political editor, uh, Robert Peston. And uh, you know, essentially what he saw was uh, a challenge that uh, some schools faced, which private schools didn't face, which was the ability to engage with uh, you know, um, inspirational speakers, perhaps, you know, whereas private schools have networks of, you know, alumni that they could call upon or uh, are able to to pay for, you know, um, some speakers to come in and, and talk to the young people and to inspire them and share their journeys and so forth. Lots of state schools didn't have either the uh, the you know the funds to pay for speakers to come in in certain certain situations, or to you know the networks, or simply saw it as something that was very challenging to. Yeah, there weren't any inspirational speakers coming to my gates at secondary school. No, the same for me in, in Lincolnshire. We, we I think we had a um, an actuary come once, and I think that was about it. So, um, you know, you you so so he had this 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 idea and this, and this kind of great passion to fix that challenge and to make it easy for um for you know an educator in a state school to access some of the some of the people that he was interviewing all, the, all of the time so you know whether or not it was a politician or a ceo or some other inspirational figure so he set speakers of schools up and um and uh connected with it with a uh, a chap called andrew law who's now our chair of the board and um and andrew um uh through through a foundation that he set up um, helped you know uh, uh, to fund a lot of what Speakers for Schools was doing, which is which is great. And so Speakers for Schools grew over a number of years um, under my um, my predecessor, um, and was delivering around twelve hundred talks from you know some of the most inspirational people in the, in the UK to to you know schools all over the country. So there's a network of about one and a half thousand schools, similar number of speakers. Um, uh, you know, working towards the the diaries of the speakers. So, if you know, if the governor of the Bank of England was in, you know, in Manchester on a date in June, uh, his uh, PA might work with our team to uh, find a, a school and a slot that that could, you know, uh, work for him to go into the school and, and talk to them about what he and the Bank of England um, do. So, that's you know, seventy percent of the talks when I arrived in uh, September nineteen were outside of London, 30% of them were in London, all speakers gave their time or give their time free of charge. You know, there's no transport cost to the charity or anything else. So it's very, you know, they're very generous in, 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 you know, uh, in giving their time and resource and everything else to, to working with us to help young people. And they're all advocates for their profession as well, aren't they? So by talking about what it is that they do and how they got where they are, then maybe they can inspire the next generation of young people to want to, to follow that same path. Absolutely. You know, uh, we've got, uh, you know, some, some marvelous speakers who, who give, you know, five, 10, 
more talks a year. You know, we ask every speaker to talk at least once a year when we're not in a pandemic, at least anyway. And, um, you know, and, and our most prolific speaker is, uh, David Dean, who was the, um, former co-owner of Arsenal Football Club and, uh, and, uh, vice chair of the, of the FA. And, he, and he's delivered over 400 talks across the country. Um, you know, which is, was absolutely amazing. And he said to me, um, when I first met him, you know, it's like his new career. Now he's kind of semi-retired. He, you know, he gets, he gets as much from it as what he thinks young people get from him. And, and the stories that we get from schools are, you know, about his talks are absolutely amazing. So, um, so, so that's kind of where that's the, that's the, um, beginnings of speaking to schools. And, um, and, and, you know, I was very lucky to inherit, you know, a highly respected organization, uh, which, uh, you know, which, which was, you know, delivering all of these talks to young people, about 150,000 young people a year were in a talk. And, um, but about four years ago as well, they, they set up, um, uh, a work experience program. So it was, you know, they noted that many of the speakers were being asked if they you know, they could offer work experience opportunities to the young people they were speaking to. Um, so they decided to do something about that. So, uh, something that, uh, you know, uh, took form was something called S4S Next Gen. Um, and, uh, when I arrived, there were 70, uh, approximately 70 employers who were delivering in-person work experience and, and they, they were organizations like, you know, the Bank of England and Disney and, and, and so forth. For anyone like sort of listening and talking about like, obviously that that Disney and the Bank of England are two fairly big and well-known companies, um, but actually thinking about the, the amount of, and the stature of the companies that you work with today, um, it might be difficult to imagine, but actually that's grown like fairly substantially. No, absolutely. So, so obviously, what I did was was look at what what we could do to to kind of spread, you know, the the, the work experience program across the UK, so that it wasn't just London centric. So, um, our speakers program, as I said, was you know delivered to young people, you know, from in England, Wales, you know, Scotland, and Northern Ireland, and but the work experience program was very much around those major employers that that. Um, uh, which were, you know, based in London, had their head office in London, all, all very nearby. So uh, we came up with the idea for virtual work experience, which was, you know, looking at how we delivered the those same employers to uh, to Gateshead, for example, or to Blackburn or the Highlands of Scotland or whatever else, where young people, you know, as I said before, live in a, you know, live in a quite a small world, if you if you will, and would never be able to access the Bank of England as for work experience or, or Disney or any other employer that's that's based in London. So virtual work experience was a thing that, that the board said, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's sign that off and let's do that next year when we, when you know when we've got uh, the opportunity to to run a pilot, um, which was which was great. So um, and we also looked at virtual talks. You know, a similar thing. You know, although our speakers travel all over the UK. You know, they don't travel to every community. So, you know, a small community high school in you know, in the middle of Yorkshire might not get to see the Bank of England uh, governor or, you know, uh, or Toby Jones, the actor or anyone else like that, because it you know, wasn't on their, you know, it wasn't on their path on their journey that they were on. So, you know, so we, so we had those ideas. We started testing um, virtual talks and. You know, and one of the thoughts we had as well was that we could also bring speakers into uh, schools in the UK where the, where the speakers weren't actually living in the UK. So we reached out to uh, Anthony Salcito, who's the um, 
global vice president for uh, uh, public sector, I think he was at Microsoft, and said, you know, in, would you mind doing a talk from Seattle? And you know he was he's great and and kind of jumped on that. So we so we started testing these things out. We went through uh, you know a rebranding exercise as well because we felt that S4S Next Gen wasn't wasn't particularly clear in, in what it was. Um, so we so you know so we changed the the speakers program to become Inspiration and the Work Experience program to become Experience. All good. You know, lots lots of stuff going on, which was great. But then obviously we we kind of reached pandemic. Yeah, it feels like this was all really well timed. Like you you just knew what was coming and that the whole world was going to end up being remote working and online. Some people have said, "Can I have your crystal ball?" And I said, "No, but you know you, you can have my my four leaf clover sometime." It was just luck, and you know in terms of our our ability to support young people when they needed us most. You know, having the experience that you had in technology and the general shape of the business that there is something in terms of the insight that actually this is the way the world was going anyway. We were seeing more remote work and online work and especially looking at things like obviously we're the um, award and organisation who's doing the digital T-levels. You know, for those young people working in digital careers of the future and working for those big organisations that, that you work with, actually it's more than likely that their workplace will be their bedroom and that they wouldn't be based in an office if they're working for someone like Spotify or Google. Even before you know schools closed to go into the first lockdown, we made an announcement out to schools saying, you know, welcome to the speakers for schools, you know, virtual work experience and virtual talks programs and you know this is what we're gonna do. And it was a very difficult time for us as well, you know, even though we were, you know, half prepared for what was coming, we you know, I remember telling telling the team that you know we were going to be jumping off a bridge and building a plane on the way down. And the worst case scenario is that we would do something for young people. You know, uh, you know the best case scenario that would be that we'd be able to deliver lots of stuff for young people. So, and you know, but I, you know, cast my mind back to to thinking about the challenges that young people would face if if we ended up in exactly the kind of situation we are now, where they'd be sat at home for you know weeks and months and and really struggling with engaging with the outside world and education properly so so everyone was in 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 my team was ultra committed and said you know let's let's really kind of all jump on this let's all go the extra mile let's you know you know pretty much you know people just gave up their own personal time to to get these things ready you know they're working into the evenings through you know colleagues were working at the weekend as well just to make sure that we could roll these programs out as quickly as possible and you know it was it was a testament that within a month we we were running our first placements and uh, we were running our first virtual talks we had you know one of the things that speaks to schools benefits from you know above many other organizations is the commitment of its speakers and its stakeholders to speakers for schools and what its mission is and and so when we you know when we made that commitment to schools that we would do something you know we'd only just really started to reach out to employers and said you know we're going to do this thing are you on board so we had you know we were were lucky to have 25 or so employers who said yeah we look none of us know where this is going but we're definitely up for this and another 50 employers that said we don't really know where we're going to be in about a month, but you know we definitely want to talk about this uh, as an option. So, so and by that time we'd been able to grow the employee network from 70 to about 120. So, you know, so so things were already growing, and um, so we delivered, uh, you know, our first virtual work experience. We 
uh, reached out to other potential partners like the careers and enterprise company and said, you know, what can you do to help us? Um, you know, what, how can we make sure that the Gatsby benchmarks meet, you know, are met by virtual work experience and so forth. And, and, you know, and, you know, ultimately what happened about a month later was, was Gatsby issued new guidance to say that, uh, virtual work experience, you know, had its place, uh, just, you know, it was just as valuable in many respects as in-person work experience. So, you know, so the pieces kind of came together, uh, for, for us. We'd been very focused on delivering, um, Gatsby, uh, good kind of work experience. So making sure that there was, you know, lots of live interaction between, uh, between the, you know, the companies themselves and the young people that it was, it was almost the same as, as close as possible to going into a workplace and, you know, the kind of interaction you would have there. But instead of going into a meeting room, you'd go into a virtual meeting room. And instead of having a, you know, a small group discussion with, you know, somebody in a department, you'd have that through the, through the medium of Google Classroom, which is the technology that we decided to use. So, uh, so, so that's how we, you know, that, that, that's how we spent the first few months of the pandemic, you know, scaling that up, trying to get as many placements as possible, trying to get as many employers as possible to sign up with us and so forth. And by, by the end of August, and we measure, you know, our, our year on, on, essentially on that, you know, September to August frame, just as, um, schools do, we'd, then got 200 employers uh, working with us across our program, uh, across our experience programs, and uh, we delivered more more work experience in one week in June than we had delivered in the entire entirety of the previous academic year. So the work experience program grew by 283% that year, um, and our uh, inspiration program delivering those talks uh, had supported around about 100,000 young people. Uh, from the beginning of the pandemic to the end of the uh, to the end of August, and uh, we'd although we'd had to cancel obviously all of the in-person talks that we planned earlier in the year, we had managed to more than make that up, and actually it was that you know we'd been able to deliver a kind of record-breaking numbers throughout the pandemic. Uh, you know it was basically uh, you know the, the highest-performing year that we'd had. Really, kind of speakers for schools has has you know not just transformed as a result of the virtual offerings that we've been able to to bring to the bring to the table and you know and really look at how we can leverage you know modern technologies just as any kind of commercial entity might do um but we've also been you know very successful in in gaining support from the trust and foundation that support us so so our team's grown dramatically as well so we've moved well i inherited a team of seven you know uh in london in 19 in 2019 and now we are 65 people with people in every community every region across the uk and i think we've managed to build one of the most amazing amazing teams you know we've continued to grow the employer network it's just past 400 employers today um we've we've you know we're working with some you know awesome organizations like the nhs as we you know we, we were talking about and and you know, delivering national programs for, you know, the NHS and Santander and other, other organizations which have, you know, that broad UK, um, uh, you know, requirement to engage young people. Would it be possible just to tell well, where people can find out more? Because this has been really interesting. There's loads of stuff that you've talked about that I think people might want to find out more about. And we already know that you're brilliant at social media because you got that early sort of fit in and, and that was how people got to know who you were. So can you tell people how they can find you online and how they can find speakers in schools in general? Follow me on Twitter at Jason Elsom is my is my 
handle. Uh, it's the same on, on LinkedIn. Um, I think it's, you know, it's, Speakers for Schools is a little bit more challenged because it has a long name and Twitter only allows so many characters. Uh, but, uh, but you can, you know, can search for, for us on Twitter. You can search for us on LinkedIn. Um, and, uh, and if you're interested in the work that we're doing around virtual work experience, we've got a very easy name, uh, domain for that. So you can go to www.vwex.org. Um, or you can go to our main website, uh, which is obviously www.speakersforschools.org. And what we'll do is we'll link all of these things in the description. So if you want to visit any of those things and you can't figure out how to spell them or how to find them online, you can just head to the description and they'll be in that box um, for you just to click on. Thank you so much for your time. It's been really lovely to talk to you. And thanks to you at home. Don't forget, for more great content tailored towards those working in care, health and education, it's free to join our network and you gain access to some great articles, videos and resources to support your career and some information about career development, as well as our members' discount and benefits scheme. And if you'd like to feature on a future episode of PodCash, please get in touch at alumni at cash.org.uk. Until next time, take care.